Hey everyone, it's Eric from Barrel and Hatchet. Thanks again for checking us out again for another episode here on Spotify. I have a uh, favorite guest of ours, Risky Krisky, to do a rant between himself and myself, and uh, it's going to be a blast. But if you don't already, go ahead and check out our YouTube. We have our Hatchet Cast series on there. Uh, also, our, our Instagram for any behind the scenes stuff, and of course, our Spotify where we do guest only episodes. Uh, Risky Krisky, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great New Year. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually a fun time. We uh, shot off a bunch of fireworks. I didn't pay for them, so of course that was fun. Um, but yeah, how about yours? Oh yeah, I had a good one. My uh, neighbors behind me, they shot off some fireworks, and my dogs really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the uh, what's one of those things is like the fireworks these days, especially in Florida, uh you can get really like good quality, like mortars and stuff like that. So, uh, we had some pretty awesome, awesome fireworks. There you go. Now kind of talking about the new year. Uh, do you think 2023 is going to be a year to remember? I feel like each year is getting more and more insane as it goes on. Oh yeah. I think, um, it's just going to increase. I think the worst of the worst probably will hit in 2024 um, or maybe even after whatever semblance of a presidential election we have, you know, on the horizon after that power is not only, you know, secured, but whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. I think this coming year, we're going to see a lot of, of disturbances in the system. Um, I mean, just from the ATF alone to the, uh, the economy, and what we're looking at with the changeover in the, you know, the Speaker of the House and everything should be very interesting. Um, right. Along with the ever tightening chokehold on a war in Ukraine that uh, there's no end in sight. Yeah. I mean, it's getting spicy out there. I think that uh, 2023, I mean, with the new possibility of a Russian offensive and then also the the shadows of the Taiwan possibility is just kind of ever looming, um, which kind of goes back towards what we've been saying all along is people's mentality to invest in themselves, to get training. Um, what's interesting is we are actually seeing specifically within the, the defense industry is we're seeing a lot of folks slow down on buying which is good in terms of they're making smarter buying decisions. Um, hopefully, hopefully that's the trend that we can start setting versus like, I don't, you know, have money to spend. So I'm just going to sell all of my stuff that I accumulated, sell the net unnecessary things, but keep the things that you need and start investing in yourself. I think hopefully this economic strain is going to cause people to think smarter about their buying decisions. Well, I think it's going to have to because there's no end in spending in sight either. Like we even see not even the whole thing, right? But like we get a little insight when you have SBF and what is it? FTX, the company, the investment company and the guys, you know, brought in and arrested 
um, out of the, what was it, out of Virgin Islands, or am I thinking of something today? Either way, it was like, a, it was the islands in the Caribbean, and um, he was fu basically funneling money that was getting sent with tax dollars to Ukraine. They were investing it in this crypto company, and then that was in turn putting and funneling money back to the DNC. Um, so we know that's where some of the money's going, right? Yeah. And we're just not even letting up. We're just going to spend more and more. So your dollar is going down the drain and the writing is on the wall just based on history. And I, I really am, I hope I don't have, to, and I'm not going to say I told you so to anybody because it's unfortunate and I'm not really looking forward to this, but when it's a 10000 or $40,000 for a loaf of bread, that's not going to be cool. And that's right. what we're trending towards based on things that have happened in the past. Huh. You know, you know what's interesting is I remember we talked a little bit a while back, kind of, we kind of touched on this. Um, but do you think that, um, you know, we're, we're possibly going, or obviously as people who are prepared, we're going towards a state of accumulating those things while the getting's good, you know, while we still have money that is worth something, at least enough to be able to buy goods and sell uh, items and things of that nature. But, um, you know, let's just say if there is total collapse, how many people do you think there will be that kind of just hermit themselves in um, and just kind of look out only for themselves? Do you think that's going to be the majority or... <clears throat> Maybe in the majority of well, I mean, you got to look at the the numbers of people that would be prepared enough to have that ability anyway. And yeah. I guess it's not a, a represent an ultimate representation of society as a whole. So I would think, um, you know, and is it a good thing or a bad thing? Right? Like, are they gonna are, are they hoarding it to themselves to where they're just being super? defensive and to a point where they'll like shoot shoot they're going to shoot somebody and they're not going to mess around at all for anyone coming near them right. or are they going to just avoid people right and i think if they can avoid people that that might be in the majority but just look at you know how many dudes out there say they they talk the talk and they can't walk the walk as far as they're not squared away um, and you can, and, and I'm not trying to be a gear snob because that's not really what I'm alluding to, but you can look at somebody's holster choice or, or something along those lines and be like, oh, okay, based on these other clear factors, this guy probably doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows. Mm. And it's like, you know, and, and not to be rude to anybody, that's why I'm trying to be fairly vague with it. Like those guys seem like the ones that might be prone to, uh, it being a problem or approaching that in the wrong way. Cause those are the guys that I tend to see you know the kyles with the monster energy drinks and the <laughs> flashing yeah. off their glock uh three uh, their 357 gap rounds right or highly ported glocks with every <laughs> yeah. gizmo attached to it yeah it's got the red raptor cut <laughs> yeah those guys maybe but you know and they're probably more prominent in this community but right. i think the majority of people are are going to be like okay this is real now let's get back to what we're what we've been planning for. Yeah, I think I, what I would so there's two things that kind of to kind of go along with the you know the line of thought that you're going with is I hope you know Eric hopes that those folks who are 
in that type of category of like showing off all the gear and stuff like that they have are also in the are preparing themselves to be a, an asset um not just another mouth to feed but uh, at the same time the folks that are preparing and you know hoarding a lot of food in their basement also at the same time are not seeing the value of going and getting trained so like you see these two spectrums you see a guy who is constantly preparing and has stores for a year's worth of food but doesn't see the need to train i'm good enough already i've got all of these different guns for different applications which should probably never be used for those things and then the other guy who's got every piece of equipment and high-speed gear and night vision and all that stuff but doesn't have enough food to last the week so i think that there are those two extremes of the spectrum where you have now I think hopefully this is becoming the trend of a more center focused, more centralized, center minded, more balanced individual that sees the benefit in nice gear and understanding, you know, good quality equipment that increases their abilities and also the need to prepare for those situations without going overboard on, on either end of the spectrum. So, you know, that's that's why I'm starting to see that trend, and I'm really glad to see it. Of almost those, let's get back to the basics type of skills. You know, those basics: land navigation, patrol. You know, all the non-sexy, the not CQB, the not let's go breach some random door in a trailer park type of things, and going back to sustainment. Um, and that kind of is starting to begin to break that outer layer shell of what people should be really investing their training towards um, when it comes to tactical slash preparedness skills that increase their effectiveness because they're increasing what they know in their toolbox um, as far as, as an, on an individual level. Um this is not obviously accounting for the fact like firearms performance and you know understanding how your gear works that's completely separate that's something that's an individual thing that you need to work on that that's the responsibility of the individual to be proficient in those things i'm talking once they've mastered that stuff or they know their gear they're capable with their gear they know what they have and how to run it and also be proficient with a firearm now i'm looking for skills that will help me outside of that while carrying a firearm, um, that's the type of stuff that I'm hoping people will start to really see value in, and I hope that does take off. Well, I've said from the beginning of my YouTube channel and stuff, I've alluded to this, what I call a MacGyver mindset, and mm. it's because the reality of, of whatever dark days might be ahead of us, it's not going to be like, you know, you're the first wave on D-Day the, every day the whole time. Like, that's just not the reality of the situation. It's not going to be combat and CQB and patrolling. You know, you're going to have to eat every day. You're going to have to, you know, see. you're going to want to see your family. You're going to want to make sure uh, you spend some time with them. You're going to need to make sure you uh, are getting information so you can you know, act accordingly and make the right decisions based on what's going on. Um, among a million things, you're going to need to be able to sustain the family and, and those around you, whether, you know, you're still working or, or whatever. Um, and 
you know, who knows how long this takes? It could take a decade. It could be tomorrow. So one day, you know, a lot of us are going to wake up and be like, you know, I'm a little too old for this. And yesterday I wasn't. So realizing that this is an uncertain battlefield, if you want to call it that ahead, and everyone is different and at a different, you know, place in their journey of proficiency in all of these categories, right, that make up what, what I would say, uh, well, who was it? John over at Alpha Charlie Concepts says the armed prepared citizen, right? Just And that kind of gives a blanket statement, not Minuteman, not Prepper, but like somebody that's willing to defend, but has resources and, and just wants to be a member of society and do the right thing, right? So there are many jobs. And what I, what I run into and find is as I go into a, a new category for a video or I'm trying to like right now I'm getting into combo, right? So I'm learning more than I expected to learn about the community in that regard. And and I see different things. So like when it comes to, you know, rifle stuff or I'm talking about camouflage or um, you know, the community or whatever, I I realize there's people that want to help that might not be in the perfect position of a 25-year-old in the best shape of their life with unlimited funds and all the time in the world to train. There's people who are younger. There are people who are older. And like I alluded to, they're in different paths or uh, parts of their journey in this ultimate road of life. So there, like one thing I I like to talk about is like safe houses and just being a, a good friend of the cause, right? When that time comes. So understanding, hey, I have access to this resource or this knowledge in this specific field and being having that MacGyver mindset of connecting the dots to where, okay, as long as I'm not in, uh, one of these people who is a hermit and doesn't leave their house, I can make relationships and talk to people. And then, okay, when the time comes, hey, you've seen me, you trust me. I can't do this because of my disability or, you know, I'm 78 years old or whatever, and but I can help you here. I can give you this access to this if you just give me some for, you know, a little bit of notice or you can have this food or, you know, whatever the thing is, or I can offer you this, um, I can teach you how to do something, right? So there's a million ways to approach it. And I think just having that humility of saying, okay, everyone's in a different part of this. Everyone's coming from a different angle. What can we provide? Like you said, an asset. I'm not a li- I don't want to be a liability. I want to help um, the cause. Whatever that is, how can I help? Let's talk about, so you're alluding to like, hey, going and just being responsible and being prepared and finding all those different people despite age and backgrounds and life and uh, abilities or disabilities. Um, at what point, let's just say, for example, just for scenario speak, everything is collapsed, right? And we have all of these different walks of folk that are in our community that we have relationships with, that are friends, that are neighbors, that are family. At what point do you say, I know this is a really what if kind of question, but say we need to consolidate versus going and traveling to each individual person's residence or where they're at, consolidate to a central location and say, hey, this is an easy area to defend, but another way to reestablish that community and also be able to keep tabs and, and use all of our combined skills to almost build a micro community somewhere. At what point do you do that? 
Well, I mean, if it's almost like you're dropping the nuke on it, right? Like we're going straight into uh, a zombie apocalypse, right? Like everything happens and we're thrust into that. I would look at it more as as it's happening. Um, it, it, I have some larger trigger events and from my term as uh, my time as a firefighter, we used to call them benchmarks. So on the fire ground, when you get there, there are certain things you want to call out or acknowledge. So everyone understands, okay, we're shifting into this phase, right? So like, for example, under control or the, uh, the search, the primary search is clear or the secondary search is clear, stuff like that. Um, because once you cross those thresholds, the game changes. So what my thinking is, is I have it, you know, if it's, if it's lesser, we're going to go with this. If it's a little bit more, then maybe we consolidate just like we're playing a ball game, right? Like I'm going to bring everybody in a little tighter, closer to the hip because it's getting a little bit more wild out there. I want to have a little bit more control on the people. If I'm the leader of my family or my group of friends, or I'm the shot caller, uh, for my, my group of homies and we're all on the same page. So if it's a full out collapse, um, I already have, and this is where the prep work comes in now. Like people got to be going and getting this stuff set up right now, uh, because it could happen tomorrow. Um, I, I'm going to be in communication and the pace plans in effect, right? So like, I've already set this up. I'm going to reach out to certain individuals in different areas that have access to different levels of information who are working, doing different jobs within the community that would be reliable. Uh, and we're like on the same page that like we know each other's family and stuff. And we're going to, in a worst case, consolidate together uh, at a potential multiple locations based on what's happening. Is it over here? Let's go to this direction. Is it over there? Let's come back over here. Um, so if it's a full on collapse, I'm going, I'm meeting my group of guys around here. Um, we're going literally to the property. Um, we're setting up shop for the family. Multiple families are going to be there. And then based on who we can and cannot communicate with, we will set up nodes of either patrols or, you know, I don't want to say a mission, but we will send people to get in touch with different individuals in our local community to establish comms with them, such as leaders in the community, the sheriff, people like that. Um, because we've already talked to maybe not the sheriff himself, Maybe the sheriff himself, right? Never going to tell you that one. But uh, people that are higher up, right? So the, uh, a commander or the fire chief or the mayor or whoever. Um, and we're going to be reaching out to them to see what's going on and to see how we can help or, or what we need to avoid or whatever like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that, that raises a lot of questions. You said pace plan right off the bat. The question you know, you're kind of already searching into this category on your own and in, in your research, you know, how do you communicate? You know, the cell phone towers are down. How, yes, you may have the key to understanding Baofangs and how they work or ham radio crap or whatever, but what about other folks and what can you do to make sure that the pace is going to be effective during a total collapse? Okay, so I would never you know, for legal purposes, cut down 5G towers and cause the whole collapse of communication. That would be wrong, and I'm not about that life. But if somebody else did, and all of a sudden <laughs> communication and 5G towers were, I'm just going off the, the schizo in there. But uh, if all that stuff drops, um, 
I'm going to go to, uh, well, it depends. I hate to get ahead of myself. It depends on the level of threat. Is this, you know, are we talking all out war? Um, then I'm probably not going to reach out to people very quickly. I'm going to, or, or over the net, if you will. So on a radio, um, I might try to, to go and make face to face contact with somebody. Um, I'm going to be listening though. So having access to, uh, repeaters, the NOAA weather stuff, all of this is going to be giving you at least whether it's propaganda or not, it's going to be giving you public information. Um, if you've set yourself up for success, you may have access to local um, emergency uh, law enforcement fire. That's sort of communication scanners, if you will. So maybe you have access to that. And like a worst, worst case, so like, I don't know, like an EMP or something along those lines and like we're attacked. Um, it really, you, you're going to have to rely on that planning to to say, okay, it's probably not safe. You know, if Chinese paratroopers are landing all around my town um, and I have to avoid them to get to the location, I may, I probably am not going to be sending radio signals out. I might send a few out on to hit the repeater or, or to at a high power in order to tell everyone, even if it, you know, doxes me on a directional radio finding sort of way, but like, maybe get that alert out, if you will, like, hey, everyone, this is legitimately happening, and just broadcast it on everything at the highest power I can with the longest antenna, so I can get as far out, or not the longest, but the right antenna length, for all you combo guys listening. The average antenna length. <laughs> yeah, I've been getting a lot of feedback <laughs> for saying it wrong. Um, I'd probably blast a message out, and I might go calm, silent, and just listen um, until I could meet people in person, and then I'd be going and doing... Sort of what I've learned is uh, is trying to keep it as small of a signature as local as possible, if we have to even use that. And and to be honest, um, I'm really going to be listening more than anything because if you and this is being vague here, but if you set yourself up for success now with people you trust and you have the technology and understanding of what's going on, then you can just rely on the plan default to the plan, the thing you've talked about and prepared for, and then you're not going to run the risk of trying to make, you know, very dangerous communications across your property to just relay information that's not pertinent. Because a lot, I think a lot of people, that's the, the misunderstanding with these radios. And even, you know, you can get into further, people don't like the most common radio that's out there. And, you know, whether people like it or not, a lot of guys are going to be using that. So an enemy or, or the go a tyrannical government force is going to be monitoring that stuff. So you can use that to your advantage, understanding that they're going to be doing that in advance. Maybe you, you avoid communicating on the radio. Maybe you just listen, um, know what to listen to in advance. So uh, uh, one big thing I can say is, um, and I don't know if it requires a license or not, to be technically a part of it, but the local ham radio clubs, um, for no other reason than this, generally uh, maintain the repeaters in that area or county or whatever. So 
not saying you need to join them or anything, but if you can get in or know some of those guys or just listen, then you'll understand what they have to do in an emergency to maintain the repeater. Is it a gas generator? Is it a propane backup? Do you have backup batteries that you need to replace? Is it, where's the key? How do you get in? And I'm not saying that to say anything illegal, but like if you can gain this knowledge in an effort to preserve communication in a worst case scenario, um, and you can do it kind of on the down low, then all the better. Uh, but that takes a little bit of an understanding of where to look to begin with. So I've, I've been um, on a kick, so I'm definitely going to do it here for everybody who's listening and keeps track. Go, there's a book, and I don't make any money off this book, um, but he's a local guy to me, you know, come to find out. NC Scout, and I think it's called the Gorilla's Guide to the Baofeng Radio. And guys get hung up on that because it says Baofeng Radio in the title. Uh, a majority, half if not a majority of the book, is not specific to any real radio. It's radio theory, uh, jungle antennas, on-the-spot field expedient antennas, um, understanding of the technology that's out there that can find you, um, history, even as recently as what's going on in Ukraine, and some farther back stuff of how communications were used and exploited and tracked, um, and then the benefits and downfalls and everything in there. So where you could literally give a guy who doesn't know anything about radios, but is, let's say, he's got a rifle with a sling and a white light on it and iron sights, and he's got six months worth of food and he's new to this. You could give him a, a $20 UV5R radio in that book, and if he really took to it and, and gave it his effort, he'd be tactically proficient with a radio um, afterward. Wow, that's crazy. Huh. I think, like you kind of were saying, like you, you hit the nail on the head with that, with that pre-mission prep. The individual skill being grabbing that book grabbing that radio and learning the material to be able to function and operate that equipment. The pre-mission planning though, is now I take my individual skills that I have with other folks who also have the same skills within my community and we build and develop a plan, which you do, like you were saying, we do that now while you're having the ability to plan. Um, so establishing a pace plan, um, establishing a, uh, hey, if this doesn't work, you know, I can't reach you via comms or we, we, we do listens, you know, or we listen out for any traffic that comes in, you know, now we're going to send out a patrol to your residence to, to meet face to face. Um, those types of things I think are going to mitigate the amount of stress that you will have already on top of what's going on uh, during that crappy situation. But the pre-mission prep is super important. Um, and it's free, like you can do it now and it gives you that comfort, um, as far as knowing, Hey, I've got some sort of plan in place. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I, uh, I, uh, kind of was researching a little bit into like, you know, the crypto and stuff like that or encrypted radios. And one of the guys that, you know, we shoot with, he was like, Hey man, like, you know, what about encryption and blah, blah, blah. I know the military runs encrypted. And I was like, dude, one of the most unbreakable ways of crypto is brevity. Just come up with your own code words for your group and what they mean or what phrases they mean or whatever. Um, and unless one of you guys gets 
snatched up. Like it's almost impossible to break that other than people assuming things and what the meaning is based off of historic traffic. But, um, you know, that goes into that pre-mission planning, memorize, developing, and then memorizing your brevity. Um, so now it just sounds like a bunch of nonsense <laughs> over the net versus an actual message. Well, that's what, um, and I'll, I'll kind of leave it at this for the book, because <laughs> I know it's not the uh, podcast about this book, but that's why I am kind of really enjoying rereading this thing. And I'm now on my second time because it, and you know this from the military side, a majority of the hardest things that, that go on is following the time and, and time-tested true tactics paid in blood. Uh, to a T, because it's there's so many small little things, and it seems trivial sometimes, and you become complacent, and that's the biggest thing. Like so, just on like white light negligence, sound discipline on a patrol. That's what I compare a majority of the skills that it's teaching you in this book. So you take a guy who doesn't know anything, who might have just a radio of any kind, or doesn't even have a radio, and he's interested. You can get him a twenty dollar book, and you can let him read it. And at the end, he's going to say, okay, I, I understand the whole crawl phase of, of how to do both intelligence gathering, um, serious radio transmission at distance, um, high-level planning as far as what needs to be concealed in, in physical encryption, right? So that's what the thing I've learned about this, and I like it a lot. Um, you know, there's technically no encryption allowed for these civilian radios, uh, hard or, or software encryption, if you will, uh, except this, what is it, AES or something like that. They have it on the civilian side to a certain degree for these digital radios. But even at that, um, that can, whether people want it, they like this or not, with once the technology and time reaches a certain point, it will crack that encryption. It could have already been been done, and the government won't say anything about it. I'm not saying that has happened. I'm just saying it's a possibility, right? When you do these, like the brevity, and you have the proper SOPs and and everything in place to where you're you're minimizing the power level, you're minimizing. You're basing your transmission on the terrain. You're attempting, depending on what you're transmitting, you have a directional antenna. Um, you're you're mirroring and masking all the refraction of the the basically the the sound wave or the the wavelength going on around you. So you're taking so many other things into account. Plus the critical stuff like your location, right? Is encrypted physically, so we already have. And I don't. I'm not going to give away. It's not a secret, but like, there's ways of just. And it goes back into clandestine methods, tried and true, um, from like the Cold War, of encrypting messages. So I can give you my location, or I can have a confirmation or an authorization based on simple phrases that are encrypted, and then I can encrypt the entire. Like I can give you my grid coordinate, or and I do it, and I can do it in a data burst sent. In a very in twenty seconds, and you'd have to be in between me and where I'm sending it, and know the exact time it's coming, and decrypt the brevity and decrypt the actual physical encryption to even know what we said. And that's just one simple aspect of it. So 
there are so many layers to this to where you it's a cat and mouse game who is the enemy what are their abilities okay it's it's not some mysterious stuff it's pretty straightforward what they can and can't do for the most part at least in theory so if you can use that to your advantage and everyone here is on this frequency or now uh, like let's say we're all on digital and then they stop using digital and then we're the only ones using digital well that's bad then that kind of uh, highlights us on the hill it silhouettes us right right you're so, no longer in a crowd exactly but maybe if everyone's in the crowd and you're transmitting dumb stuff with your ham radio license but it's actually brevity and encrypted physically over regular nets and it's just random seeming then the guys who are really looking for you and they're seeing data bursts encrypted in old school random stuff. They're going to be like, these guys know what they're doing. This is important. As opposed to, hey, I'm transmitting on a little bit over power on a cheap radio. Uh, and I sound kind of like a doofus. And it's actually the most important information. And I'm not saying that's the way to do it. But like, you have to really understand what's going on in order to strategize this. And that's the thing I learned earlier in life, which is why I'm approaching it from the standpoint of get the book, invest 20 bucks in a book instead of what the guys in the industry are going to say, get this $90, $100 radio. But most guys, once they get into it, they're like, this is too much for me. At least with that book, you got a reference. And I compare it to like the Ranger Handbook or, um, you know, like if you're in a, the fire service, like the ERG. So like if you respond to a hazmat call, every firefighter knows what the book, the book I'm talking about is. So you refer back to that, even if you're not an expert and you will have a very good guide of how to do things safely, regardless of what the internet tells you. Because this is, like, from a guy who's been there, done that, and is way smarter uh, than I am. Not even close. Not that that's hard to do. Like, you're way smarter than I am. But I'm going to stop talking now. I need to stop. You're, you're smart. You're smart. Don't even. I'm half an idiot. But uh, I have an associate's degree in arts, so, you know, I'm half... <laughs> I don't even have an associate's degree. I, uh, I would say that like you were saying, having those reference materials, those cheat books are always a good thing to have. Um, and now you can even get them digitally. So if you can have your phone, yes, you may not be able to talk on it, but you could still reference things, plug it into a solar charger. I just got like a solar battery pack thing for Christmas. So like I can use that to kind of turn on devices if there's no EMP. But at the end of the day, daydreaming those contingencies or, hey, here's the what ifs. And then, okay, this what if is big enough and plausible enough to be able to apply a plan and develop a pre-plan for, a contingency for. Um, and I think that the training community uh, specifically is doing a better job of um, starting to branch out into those basic, more plausible skill sets. Um but I still think that there needs to be more. For example, and this is something I was talking about with Todd, uh, the guy who, you know, is going to do our medical stuff. But I was like, I understand there's a lot of folks that have the individual skill of learning how to stop the bleed. But have folks talked about what do I do to, how do I set up an aid station if the only person in my community is a nurse and they're the highest level of care? You know, like, I don't have anybody else to go see. The hospitals are closed. The roads are blocked. The route's too dangerous. Uh, any, I don't know any doctors. Or the doctor I did know, he's dead. So now we're back in our little community. You know, crap has, you know, everything's collapsed. We're at phase, oh, crap. Um, and, or phase full collapse. And 
now I'm getting a Coleman's tent and figuring out what items do I need to establish some sort of field hospital. And oh, by the way, Jimmy Jenkins, you're a nurse. Good congratulations. You're now the community surgeon and also the highest level of care. And then how do we get casualties to you if we need to? You know, thinking outside the box on that level um, and start accumulating the supplies as well for those types of things. Hey, I have my IFAC. I have my medical bag for a couple, you know, the range bag. But at the same time, I'm starting to accumulate across with all of the guys in my community or folks in my community. Hey, here's a field station supplies, you know, and we, but we, we put it all together and we've got enough to be able to run a makeshift field hospital in the worst case scenario. Or you have a doctor in your group or a couple doctors in your group and they're like, hey, we got this. We have a place to go accumulate that stuff or I can go grab that stuff really easy so we don't need to do that. But at least having that plan in place and thinking outside the box of outside of just the typical basic individual skills, um, I think is important. Well, it's kind of twofold and you, and you touched on it more or less, but you have to have the information to know what you don't know. So then that's like why I mentioned that book. And I'm looking here across, and you can't see it, but I've got a stack of books over here. Not big ones. They're, they have pictures in them because I'm kind of dumb. But, uh, fat like, stacks, fat stacks. Yeah, fat stacks of books over here. It just printed, just PDFs, right? Um, but it's like one is on like making power um, with stuff, like getting – getting a like I have a solar power one I have a hydroelectric one because I'm we're not at that stage in our group yet we're like I have a, a few buddies who are homesteaders and we're looking at getting them squared away on power so we're not there yet but I got the the resource material ready so if it happens tomorrow okay uh well somebody's one of the guys in the group has been getting the equipment so we might not have all of it but we got to start and we kind of know where we can fill in the gaps because it's kind of uh, unrealistic to think you're going to be the expert in everything, just like you're not going to have the, all the money uh, to do everything to the perfect degree that you'd want, more than likely. So I've got that. i got some homesteading ones. Um, and then the other the facet of it is you have to have the motivation and, and will to get out and plan this now. So if like my wife is in the medical field, and she knows what she's doing, and she has a lot of experience. Um, so people around here that know me, at least, and I try to to know a decent amount of people and, and be familiar around town, so that if, if something bad happens, well, we know in advance that we need to set up an, an aid station and a wellness clinic. And we know people who are uh, what do I want to say, providers in the area that are like-minded. Whether they know the full extent of the plans that I'm willing to go to, and we understand at least what that would entail, whether we have the resources now to do it or not, it's better than thinking of it on the fly and trying to figure it out with people you don't know after the fact. Granted, you have to have the resources to know these people, but that's kind of why I typically allude to, and I've said allude like 30 times here, but uh, I try to get people <laughs> out there meeting others because being on the internet, sitting on your phone, although I'm guilty of it all day long, it doesn't help you. People, if nothing else, people recognizing you're the guy that comes in here all the time and he's nice and he's local. 
So you're not showing up there randomly when everyone's got guns because it's some weird worst case scenario and they don't know you. It'd be nice if they at least knew you're the guy that pays for your stuff and has been coming in for the past year and don't shoot that guy. He's cool, right? Like basic stuff at that level is critical. And I think that's so overlooked because we might be like the expert, but if nobody knows you and you're just doing this by yourself, it's, you might be overlooking a few things. No, 100%. And that's like you said, are you knowledgeable enough to be able to ask the questions, not to be a subject matter expert in it, but to ask the questions, to find the folks who have the answers and then develop a plan with those people? Um, you know, like, I can't cook for anything, but having a good cook could probably be something important, especially when everything sucks. You know, it's amazing how you're out in the field and just how good a hot cooked delicious meal can be to your spirit, like in your morale, like those types of things. And, uh, I think it's, it's the non-sexy version of planning. It's the non-sexy thing, but it goes back to a conversation I had with a, a buddy of mine where I was like, Hey, I, I get it. Every, all this focus on patrolling, that's all we talk about. It consumes our conversation or, or shooting or, or gear or whatever. But what else can we talk about that can really benefit us? Um, you know, you want to talk about patrolling? Okay, well, where are you patrolling from and why? You like, there's a reason why you're patrolling from someplace. And then where are you coming back to? All right, let's talk about that place. Let's talk about the origin place where you're going to lay down and sleep at the end of whatever mission, quote unquote, you're going on you know, that patrol base and where, where are the latrines going to go? Do you even know how to dig a slip trench? Like, you know, those types of things, or at least have a reference to be able to, you know, see or some sort of material, um, like book material where you can go, Hey, the slip trench probably should be about this far away from the cooking tent. And the cooking tent should be this far away from the medical tent or where people are sleeping. Um, so those types of things, um, I think really need to be the type of conversations that folks are having to include all of the stuff that we're already talking about that are individual responsibilities and skills. Well, it goes just back to relationships. Um, if you're not, if you're that guy and you're still going out and you see people and you're not tipping, yeah, I know it sounds ridiculous, but you're not tipping the waitress or the waiter at the place locally in town that you go to all the time and you always complain about stuff. Well, when you, your dreams come true, you know, and you're the local warlord and nobody can cook and you stand up and you're like, Hey, who's going to do it? And they're like, that guy sucks. Nobody's going to do it. <laughs> you know, but if like you're that dude who everybody likes and things, you know, go south and you reach out to somebody and they'll, and you're like, Hey, can you help us? And you know, if you're good to them, they're probably going to be good to you. It's like why the special forces goes out and, and sets up medical uh, facilities and, and outreach clinics where they're operating in because that you need the local support of the, the populace um, in order to do anything. If you are going up against techno uh, technologically superior tyrannical forces or, or armies. Um, and then just even as far as the, uh, like you were saying, if you don't have people with you, who's going to, you know, not everyone is just that single young operator, right? You, some people have families, so you're going to go out on a patrol. Who's watching your, your family, keeping them safe while you're out doing other stuff? You have to have 
people that you trust that uh, you trust them enough that they will protect your family if you're not there. So it, yes, you can't you can't know everything and you can't do it alone. So it starts with treating your neighbor, you know, like you want to be treated. Mm. And you know that's that brings up an interesting thought um, and, a, and actually a conversation I had with another friend who happens to be a, I call them mind doctors. He's a psychologist um, or a therapist. Or I can't remember. Sorry if you're listening to this, but uh, psychotherapist. Yeah, psychotherapist, psychotic therapist. Yeah. All right. So, uh, doctor. He no. was asking me. He said, "Hey, Eric, you know, how do I know if I'm a liability, or how do I know if I'm an asset? Like, what are some things that you would look for?" If you were the leader of a community and you would say, hey, you're a detriment to the group or you're an asset to the group. And I kind of answered it, um, I think, in a way that kind of caught him off guard. But essentially, which I like to say essentially a lot, um, is it, it really depends on personality. Like personality, I think, can dictate whether you're an asset versus a liability. Now, there are some things, you know, obviously, like if you're out of shape and you can't run more than 20 feet, okay. You know, you could be the nicest guy in the world, but, you know, you can't run more than 20 feet. But I think personality goes, you know, there's a lot attached to that. Um, you know, testicular fortitude, however, no ego. Um, being selfless, however, investing in yourself. Um thinking of others before yourself, uh, looking at ways that you can help. So I think being a team player, these are the personality traits that really make you an asset. You know, you can have somebody that has all the skills in the world, but if they only care about themselves, then they're more of a li- They're Because of those skills, now they're even more of a liability to you. Um, so I think, like you were saying, having that personality, being friendly, honestly putting yourself in a situation now where you're willing to help people out without looking for anything in return, literally the definition of love, um, loving your fellow man, that is what's going to determine who you can really hold in your group to trust to protect your family while you're gone You know, versus asking the questions, what are they doing? Because you also have to think about the social issues that are going to come just from interacting with families and people and you know on a daily basis within that community while you're out doing stuff to gather things for the community or gather supplies or go recce or whatever like all of those things are going to come into play and so you know and also people will be pushed to their mental limits because of a total collapse so finding those people that you can really say, wow, they, I'd never see them. They're always looking for somebody else to help. They're always looking for somebody else to, um, like they're, they're trying to help other people. They're not really looking into anything for themselves. Those are the gold mines and the gems. Cause you can teach them any skill. Like you can really download information into those individuals or, or they'll, they're already going to be receptive to learn the skills they need to be able to continue to help other people. And so I think it kind of goes back to finding those really good people that are worth your investment, but at the same time, you also being humble and always willing to learn and always willing to soak up knowledge, make new relationships, and not just be a hermit that knows it all uh, or someone 
that thinks everybody would definitely want me because I have all these skill sets or I have all this gear and equipment. And in a day, it just comes back to be be humble, but also willing to be dangerous, and um, thinking of other people and having that brotherly love mindset. Dude, I could talk about this subject for for hours. I got so many anecdotal stories <clears throat> that give me my baseline perception on life of how to approach things. Um, for one, it, it all depends on people's definition of an asset. And I think that is a misunderstood term at face value a lot of the time. Uh, in the in the regard of SHTF or, you know, there's war in the homeland, right? Or, or Armageddon or Red Dawn or whatever. Um, as long as somebody's heart is in the right spot, uh, I think if if you're listening to this, you can probably find a way to make them an asset. Because whether they're morbidly obese, whether they're old, whether they aren't good with a gun, whether they're great with a gun, whether they are poor or whatever, if their heart is in the right spot um, and you can identify that, then you can probably find a way to, to fit them in. And honestly, it's probably the right thing to do as well. Now, that, that goes into a whole other thing, though, and of, of how I came to that conclusion. Um, you know, when I was a, a firefighter, um, I, I was told I was getting uh, transferred to a different station. And I didn't ask for it um, or anything like that. And it came as a surprise, and it was actually to, like, my number one choice on my number one truck that I wanted to go on. And that was sort of out of, um, I don't want to say out of the norm, but, like, it, it, I didn't feel like I earned it. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Because I still, I felt like I had more training. I feel like I, I had more experiences that I needed under my belt before I could walk through that threshold. And, and hang with those guys for whatever reason, right? That was how I felt. So I get there and the captain, uh, we do, we do some trading sessions, right? And it's, I don't want to say it's brutal, but anyone who knows me, anyone who's listened to this and who really knows who I'm talking about, they'll, they'll have a little laugh to themselves. Um, after one of these, you know, long shifts, my captain was just asking me, he's like, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't even feel like I belong here. Like y'all are awesome. And you see how much I'm struggling getting, because they took it very seriously. Like we're going to do, just like you understand from your experience, we have this many job sets. There's this many outliers or scenarios. Um, right. And we have to be proficient in all of them. Now, that's what everyone does. Let's be the best in every category in the whole city. And let's run more calls than any other truck in the whole city on top of that. So when I'm doing this and I'm like, these guys are doing this way faster than I can possibly do it. And they're doing it. I don't want to say perfect, but they're, they're, they know what they're doing and they got the experience to back it up. And I'm telling my captain, like, I don't feel like I hang. And he just kind of laughed and scoffed at me. And he's like, man, I know why you're here and it's your heart. 
I know where your heart's at. And he goes, well, I can make you faster. He goes, if, if I didn't think I could make you faster, you wouldn't be here. I know where your heart's at. And it hit me. And that, I'll, that will never leave me because that is one of those men in my life, like the, an older leader that, that I had, a, a mentor of mine. And hearing him say that was like, wow, I, I don't belong next to you guys in the same, in, in the same company. You know, if we were all to go down in a fire, they'd be like, you know, that guy probably was the screw up that got him killed. Right. It's not like I don't belong. Uh, So hearing him say that just confidently. um, It literally changed my life because now I approach that from looking at it from his leadership and experience. And he's a guy who's he's he had some very very tough calls, some of the worst ones uh, in history in our area, and he was on them. And him saying that, and me worrying about being a liability, and then seeing how good of a person he was and a leader, it's like, uh, that's something to strive for, because he knew he could teach me. He knew he could make me better, and that he could provide the, the leadership and the environment to where I could thrive in that. So that goes back in to just the knowing people, right? If if you, if everyone had mentors and leaders like that, um, we, maybe we wouldn't even be in the spot at, in the world that we're in right now. So if you can become that, whether you're the expert or not, taking people, identifying, hey, they're a good person, they want to be here. Okay, as long as you got a spot somewhere, that there's probably you know a good way you can make them fit in. No, hundred percent, dude, and that and that kind of goes back to that difference of like, you know, are those people who are not that type of personality who don't care about people look at this as an you know the collapse of everything as an opportunity to be able to take advantage and hold, have their sway over folks versus other people like your like your leadership, you know is that type of person who would go, man, I have now this golden opportunity to help more people who are in need that could use my help because of my preparedness. And I think that's a kind of mindset, just like, you know, your, you know, your boss was, was showing you was like, I see the capability within you and I am willing to, help you become better, but I see that you have the heart. And I think, I mean, with you, didn't it develop a strong sense of just loyalty to that individual? It did. And, you know, I had identified before this from my time in the army, um, as if, if you weren't leading from the front, if you weren't willing to do the stuff that I had to do, I didn't have that respect. And this was, he, he was all about that. So yeah, I knew immediately um, that that's what kind of he was putting down, and that that was the vibe. Um, I've learned since then, and it's funny; it just reinforces all of that. Um, and I think it was on on YouTube somewhere, but there was like a, I think it might even have been on like the Sean Ryan podcast. I'm not sure. Oh, I may dude, be- his podcast has been surprising me he, with some of the guests he's had on. Yeah. I've been like, wow, dude, this is a legit. The ups and downs of the Sean Ryan podcast, I like. (laughs) (laughs) And I might be miss, I might be giving him cred, and it might be somewhere else. So forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think he was interviewing like a SEAL, like a Dev Guru guy, and they were talking about the selection process, or like 
um, I think what they were told by maybe one of the selection psychologists or, or you know, schizo, schizo, schizo doctors. Please edit that out. That was absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I said that three times. Uh, if you are going through that selection process, and let's say you get to the end and they got to cut one one of two people, and they give them the you know the mental assessment or, or they get their their rating or everything back, their priority, if you if you take these two into account, skill and trustworthiness. They will take somebody with lesser skill and higher trustworthiness 100% of the time because their thought was if they've gotten this far and we trust them more, then that's more important to, for whatever reason, the national team, if you will, the national swim team, um, than, than the other, which is the skill mm -hmm. that got them to that high shooting position to begin with. Right. So that just reinforces like trust, your heart being in the right place. Or do you want to be here? Um, because everything else you can be trained. You can get, we can make you, you know, lighter weight. We can make you run faster. We can make you handle this better. We can teach you this. Do you want to be here? Are you going to make the right decision and harm someone or choose yourself over that child or woman? Or are you going to do and put other people first? If you can do that, um, I think we should always make room for those kind of individuals. But that, and, but that's the lowest common denominator, also. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, kind of my final question and thought: um, How do you train somebody to deal with? A skinwalker. Oh man, I think exposure therapy helps. Um, <laughs> I so I'm not even joking, dude. One of my good buddies who got me into this culture, if that's what you even want to call it. Uh, I started hanging out it's, with this. It's dude. an awakening movement. Dude, I started hanging out with this guy, and I'm like, man, look at all these guns he's got. I was like, I knew he had some guns, but like the stuff he's pulling out, I'm like, he had the RPK. Everything. I'm like, what? Like, people don't just have that randomly. Yeah. And uh, especially in RPK. And they're in cries, right? I'm like, what is going on? This is abnormal. I don't live, you know, where all these gun guys live. Somewhere out, you know, Arizona, Midwest, somewhere like that. I don't Texas. live out there. Texas, exactly. So uh, he's telling me all these dudes he's following on the internet and everything. It turns out it's it's half the guys you know of, half the companies that you know we deal with. And, uh, you know, parachuter gear is one of them, actually. And um, turn to, uh, come to find out, he starts telling me about these stories of him being out in the woods and, like, seeing stuff. And this isn't a guy that makes up stuff. He's been, okay, uh, he's, I, he's been on my YouTube channel before. People Tell me more. Keep going. Um, and so he's not a liar, right? Like, he doesn't, it's exactly the opposite of this dude. And he's telling me how he's seen dark, like, uh, like figures come screaming across the opening, like on his, like where he lives, out to the wood line, and just hear it just smashing through the woods, like real fast. And he said, his words, I quote, it took his breath. And he, all he was doing was praying in his mind, Jesus. Really? Father God. Yeah. Wow. He said he couldn't speak. And he said it's it just this the darkest thing he'd ever seen. And he didn't say humanoid, but he said it was a figure 
and it just hovered like just across the opening and that's probably 75 yards 75 yards to the woods and he said you could just hear it screaming through the woods and he, Ooh, he so me, it was actually screaming or it was just booking it really quick okay so i missed so it wasn't like yelling it was just running or like it moving breaking branches really fast it sounded he said it sounded like it was moving very fast and it was just violently going through the woods and that how, coincides. Did, did he see how tall it was? Did he see how tall it was, or like how big the thing was? He didn't. He alluded. Uh, how many times have I said alluded? Sixteen. He basically said it was. It was like no more than you know six, seven, eight feet, something like that. But he was telling me in that same story, uh, his dad, and these are like godly individuals. Like they're all about. Like they make me. They, he'll, I'll sit with him and I'll be like, man, I got to get my life together, <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah, when I no reason, No reason. I'm to like going to pray and I'm like, I, thank you for giving <laughs> me this individual in my life to you know, tell me that I'm an idiot. Uh, and so he's telling me about his like, dad and stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, if your dad is... Ex-, and he, he said um, his dad saw one. And if I'm remembering this correctly, it was a similar thing. And he said it was just his dad told him it was just pure evil. And his dad like stood up and started like, in Jesus' name, casting it down. And I think that one screamed, and and just that, took off like, and booked it into the woods because they were in the back. Like door. actually verbally like, screamed. Ah! It just took off, just breaking oh, branches through the woods. And he's telling me this, and it's at night, and we're in the woods and have night vision down, just larping around in the woods. And I'm like, bro, I have the TV this story? on. It's so dark out here. <laughs> my gain is all the way down yeah i'm tripping over things trying to give back <laughs> dude that is so like that type of stuff i like you said exposure therapy is probably the best way to help people even make sense of this like i don't even know what i would do if i saw something like that in the woods besides have a complete psychotic break like can you imagine like like an interdimensional being which i believe bigfoot is because you can't just have footprints that go out into the middle of a snowy field and just stop like and there's nowhere to go there's no trees there's no buildings like they just go in the middle of a field and stop like there's no way to explain that and but yet the physical evidence is too too in your face to really to to not to deny um, but it goes, there was one I saw, I think it was, I may have sent it to you, but it was on blurry creatures and it was this truck driver that was at this truck stop and he goes and he, and I guess this is like a common thing at the specific truck stop and he goes and he's rolling the window down. He's like speaking to the phone. Like I'm too terrified to even get out of my truck. He, I think he's like on an Instagram live or Facebook live or something like that. And there is just this unnatural insane i don't even know what animal or creature could make this decibel sound of a noise that was just so loud like a loud howling that was not a not a wolf too deep for any type of canine just insane screeching in the woods and i feel like the frequency of these things is just getting more and more just consistent like there's just a lot more stories 
and things happening all the time. Like I'm convinced giants are real to the point where I have. Oh, dude, they're it's it's they're real. They're real, dude. Why don't they care that they're being like? That's the thing. Like you said, I and maybe it's just because we're into this more now, especially with blurry creatures just on fire, getting better and better. But (laughs) it's amazing, dude. The the anecdotal evidence, and based on what my beliefs are personally about biblical stuff, it doesn't. It, well, I don't want to say it doesn't. Not it. It doesn't conflict as far as what I'm understanding of anything, and it's it's very very interesting to a point where imagine. I mean, why well, to say imagine? What what's going to happen if you don't ever take this into to to being real, and then all of a sudden, legit Nephilim are real. And they're just out there. Like, people are going to die from just going into straight cardiac arrest. At least with the exposure therapy, you might look like a weirdo, but you're going to be into it. It's at least cool like the X-Files, if nothing else, if we're way off. Uh, But you're not, when you hear that Wendigo or that dog man hunting you out in the woods, at least you'll know what to do, right? Like, just start blasting immediately. No, (laughs) Don't take me prisoner. I would, yeah, seriously, like, it is, there is no way, I don't even know, like, if I saw something like that in the woods, like, oh, let's go do a little land nav, let's go, or doing our Ghost Fighter night vision class, and all of a sudden one of these things pops out, or you see a skinwalker or a wendigo, I don't even know which would be more terrifying, they're probably both equally terrifying. Anything with skin creeps me out. Dude, like not no fur, like skinless. I I don't even. So anyways, like, what would you do? Like, what would you do? I don't I even know if that, I would be able to pull the trigger. I'd have freeze. I'd free. I'd trigger freeze. Well, you heard the blurry creatures podcast where they were talking about he was looking through that uh, thermal. Bro, and he's like, that was he's like, nuts. we got to have air air power. He felt like in danger, and I'm thinking like, if you felt in danger out there and it was looking at you. Uh, that, it makes my heart pound just thinking about it. Cause it's like the red hair or the orange hair stuff. And then the giant, the, the ODA encountering the giant. And I know people who have seen the orange hair stuff and the, the like the goat. Dude, I remember, I remember that. I remember that. I remember like, why were these people paying their hair orange? It's not a Muslim <laughs> culture. Like it's what's insane. going on? Like that made so much sense. They're going back into the tunnels, dude, into the mountains. And I think that – so that's my ne- my latest theory is there's tunnels in these cave systems. And I've heard about – they coincide, at least in the conspiracy world in the United States, with missing people. Now, obviously, people go missing in caves because they're spelunking. I love that word. Uh, and just looking around. But like, okay, cool. How would – the based on these sightings, at least in Afghanistan – and I think in Mexico too, there were some random film giant sightings. They're all in like mountainous areas with like caves around. So I think the thing is, there's some of these caves lead to the inner earth. Ooh, put some fancy so? music in right there. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Do you really think that there is going is because I know Hitler believed in that that there is a hollow earth. I don't know about hollow earth. I just a hundred percent believe there's more to this than what they're telling us i believe they're hiding more land from us somewhere um i and i don't know right like i have no idea but i think there's there's enough questions out there that are not being answered 
and it seems like they're actively going out of their way to label people as crazy. And, you know, funny enough, that's been going on a lot in life lately. So I'm not too concerned with that kind of stuff anymore. And it's given me a little confidence to kind of divulge more into it. And, uh, yeah, I think there's, at minimum, I think there's huge, vast tunnel networks uh, and or cave networks, at minimum that we're talking about here. And I think that's some that has something to do with the giants. I obviously think the, the government is putting stuff underground. Um, it doesn't help that, you know, Elon Musk owns a boring company, but we don't really talk yeah. about that too much. I, I, I think that the other interesting fact is, is the more that the truth is covered up or things are smothered and trying to be, well, it's like, why? You are literally just proving that that is something I need to start digging into. And like okay uh you have these cryptid sightings and all of these things popping up in natural for or uh, uh, net, uh what do you call it state parks and federal uh what do they call those things you know what i'm talking about national yeah. parks so and also why is there a no-fly zone over national parks tell me the reason like why is there a no-fly zone correct me if i'm wrong in national parks, there's no fly zones. You can't fly over it. You can't cut anything down. Um, and all these missing 411 things are happening in these places is also where they're also having all these sightings. So, you know, dude, it, it, it's insane. The what, missing 411 thing just blows my mind. What's the most intense or wildest out there conspiracy or like just insane thing? you're you're currently looking into so i think the man okay this is and this is still something that's still a stretch for me but at the same time it's it's becoming more plausible but if you're if you're a christian and you're a believer you know what i'm talking about or even if you're not and you may have heard of this but the nephilim project is insane (laughs) oh yes dude the nephilim for those who don't know Essentially, the premise of the Nephilim project is the Nephilim were in Genesis. Um, uh, they were fallen angels that mated with humans and created the line of giants, the line of Goliath. Anyways, they never left. And it even says it biblically, like they existed before and after the flood. So uh, the Nephilim project pretty much alludes to the Nephilim are still here. They are working behind the families of the elite to usher in the end of the age or not end of the age like, oh, judgment, but like building a hybrid race secretly in working with the government to be able to build an army to dominate the world. Uh, And also what's crazy is the witnesses from these Nephilim projects have already said that the hybrids exist already among us (laughs) and... uh, they're absolutely gorgeous, like gorgeous people. But you can just tell, like, you know, these people who have escaped from these underground military bases and these labs and stuff like that. But like, yep, uh, that's totally a hybrid. And these are the characteristics of a hybrid. And they're genius. They're super fast. They're uh, it's just nuts. And uh, that is probably the most insane one that I'm looking into. That's just really got my curiosity peaked to maximum. Oh yes, that's a good one, and I'm uh, I'm currently get, I can't get enough of that either. Just like you were saying um, with the Nephilim project, 
And that that was one of the first ones of the Blurry Creatures podcast I listened to, and it was it got me hooked. It, it, it was deep, dude. There's that one episode. It, it's like I was like deep. I, I think it's the one. that's like the episode is called "Taken by Aliens" or "Taken by UFOs" or something like that. But it's really about the Nephilim Project, or is it a different one? No, you're th- no. The one that you sent me, the first one, was called the Nephilim Project because I sent it yes. to my dad, and my yeah. dad. It, what blew my mind is my dad. Send me back. He's like, that doesn't really conflict with anything I'm aware of biblically either. And he's oh like, that's very Lord, compelling. Dude. And I was like, what? And, but, yeah. And what's crazy is is the Nephilim Project. So the the episode in that episode for our listeners, the ep, the person being interviewed is a pastor and a doctor, and has a PhD in like mental stuff, but works with victims of demonic ritual abuse and the people coming for therapy from demonic ritual abuse some of them have come from this nephilim project i um so that i would agree with you that's kind of my my number one focus right now like that's the bane the main thing uh but it is it goes back to something i i read about before learning about the nephilim project um and it's uh admiral bird's diary from going to antarctica and the regardless of what people think about that it does have similarities to the nephilim project and a few of these other things in that the the beings or whatever that he allegedly met there were beautiful like the most beautiful like men and women he'd ever seen in his whole life and it's like when i hear that where have I heard that? Where's Krisky heard that? Right? It's almost like it's like a biblical reference of sorts <laughs> to a certain individual who would probably be, you know, in on all of this if this is true. Exactly. Yeah. So then I look at, and then the Nephilim Project, and then some other things, and I heard, you know, I don't know, if, I don't have firsthand evidence if this is true, but I heard on the rumor mill that one of the reasons there were so many, you know, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq that warranted us starting a war with them. Uh, may have had something to do with Nimrod's head being in a in a museum, uh, and that goes and, that, that, that and it comes directly back like, to that. All of that, all of that the DNA. Connects. Dude, I feel like I've got my, I've got this board, and I'm just like got my hands up, and I'm like, coincidence pile just yeah, slamming yeah. through the roof. Yeah, it's just like the, that makes sense for why they're hiding the giants and why they're hiding hiding the uh, the evidence the of, Smithsonian. The, of the yeah, yeah dude. It's all connected through the Nephilim Project. And my Nephilim Nephilim my Project buddy, so dude, wild. his mom. Uh, so he's Native American. I don't. I, maybe I talked about this on a podcast before, or the one that didn't like record right. But um, he's Native American, and his mom. I've asked her point blank, and she was serious. What's in the uh, burial mounds? Like the giant burial mounds? She's like redheaded yeah, giant. She said that straight <laughs> up without like she was serious. She's like everybody knows that. Serious? But the museums won't tell it to you. They think that's a lie. I'm like, dude. Even the Native Americans are like, yeah, it's the it's the big people. Oh yeah. So I'm not the one, you know, pumping out the stuff. I'm just observing it. Like, this is so. Like, I I reserve the right to be wrong here. I don't think I am. But like, if nothing else, it's so exactly. cool and interesting. It's it's insane. It's literally insane in a crazy way that'll blow your mind and it's hooked so my wife actually for for christmas got me two books about giants so yes i uh, i'm gonna read those but i think it's dr michael house heiser and another one um i can't remember the the name you're gonna have to let me know because i'm gonna buy them <laughs> dude I, i'm gonna i can't wait to start digging into it 
Uh, but anyways, uh, dude, any closing thoughts about pre-mission planning or the Nephilim or cryptids or anything in general? Uh, I just think, um, just getting out there and getting basic knowledge, just broadening your horizons, learning something every day, even if it's something small, uh, and just not being complacent. Um, that's, that's the key here because setting these, these daily patterns, these routines is, is good for us, right? Like, because if something happens, it's bad and we're sporadic and all over the place now, we're not going to just get better and focus. Uh, we're going to be spastic, looking for answers, trying to figure things out by planning all this in advance. Even if it's, you know, a lot of time, at least we got the time right now to do it. And it's like a fire extinguisher. I'd rather have it and not need it and look back on my time watching Nephilim videos, laughing, saying, hey, remember that time where I was randomly, you know, on in YouTube's attention and I wore a mask all the time and everyone <laughs> yeah. thought I was an idiot? That's fun because I'm an idiot and now, you know, we're still alive and nothing happened, right? I'd rather that happen than the alternative of not preparing and then being SOL. 100%. 100%, dude. And, uh, yeah, I think at the big, at the end of the day, like part of this is just helping to exercise people's brain juices and also entertainment. Um, so, uh, where can people find your crazy masked up videos? Uh, so if you just search risky, Krisky uh, with K's and I or K's and Y's at the end, uh, that'll get you on YouTube. I'm on Instagram, but you know, they like to to delete me from time to time. So if you just search <laughs> YouTube, I'm there. And if something changes, you know, I might, I'll make another account. Don't worry. I'll be around. Exactly. Well, guys, thanks again for tuning in to a rant with Grisky Krisky. As always, go check out our YouTube channel, Instagram for behind the scenes stuff and Spotify for other guest episodes. Also, they don't, they didn't tell us about this, but Risky and I are big fans. Go check out blurry creatures. You won't be disappointed. Start off with episode one. It may be too much to just jump right into the last episode that they posted. So uh, if you want some mind-blowing content, go check out Blurry Creatures. Um, but yeah, once again, make sure you invest in yourself. You are the asset. Don't be the liability and continue to train. We'll see you on the next one.